0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads
1: Art weak. Text message marketing is a powerful tool. After all, no other channel provides marketers with the same level of one-to-one communication that you get by sending a simple text message. But just because you have the ability to press send doesn't mean you always should.
0: You need to think to yourself before you send any text message, is this message providing value? Is the person on the other end of this going to look at this and say, yes, I want to save this. And if it's not the case, you probably shouldn't be sending it. You've got this unicorn right now. This way to communicate to your customer is so direct. You want to hold it in the highest regard and respect it as much as possible.
1: On this episode of Marketing Trends, Matt Baglia, the co-founder and CEO of Slick text, dives into the do's and don'ts of text message marketing. And he touches on the main reasons marketers should approach this channel with extreme caution. Matt also explains some of the best practices that will set any marketer up for success. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever. And every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy. And you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every-buyer.
2: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest. Matt, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
2: Doing great. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat about Slick Text today. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about SMS, which is always fun, and, uh, and your background. So how'd you get started in marketing?
0: Man, I, uh, I guess I've always been a right brain person. I went to, to community college here in Jamestown, New York, where I grew up and found myself getting really interested in web design. And I've always kind of been a creative person, and really started to follow the path of web design, and um, you know, started building websites for people to to pay my way through college. And that was the thing that really got me leaning forward into marketing, particularly in text messaging.
2: And flash forward to today, tell us about Slick Text.
0: Yeah, so you know, ten years uh, later, we've got Slick Text, and we're fifty people strong. We've got an office here in Jamestown, New York, where the company was founded. And we have another office in Nashville, Tennessee. And we are powering the text message marketing programs for some of the world's biggest brands.
2: Yeah. And what's the state of text message marketing right now?
0: There's a lot that's happening in the world of SMS. And it's happening on various fronts. So on the technical side, there's a shift in how people are sending text messages. You know, typically, what you've seen in the past is people have been making use of short codes and they were often shared where, you know, these are these, these five to six digit phone numbers that people used to send messages at scale. And they've been great, but recently, particularly over the past year, the carriers have really come out and said that these numbers cannot be shared anymore. And so there's a, a big shift between that and finding other SMS modalities, things like sending on local numbers, Toll free numbers and what have you, and there's been kind of a split. There's a new messaging product coming out called 10 DLC, which is really just a fancy way of 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 saying text messaging with local numbers. And we're seeing a big shift there as some of the smaller brands that historically have been able to to use shared shortcodes for free, who now cannot foot the bill for a standard dedicated shortcode, moving to to these 10 digit numbers for their messaging. So the tech front, that's a big thing that's happening in text messaging overall. On the marketing and just general engagement side, historically, we've seen a lot of people just doing mass messaging and beating their audience over the head with a very similar message twice a week, or four times a month, or whatever it happens to be. And you know, over the last, I'd say, you know, two to three years, we've seen this, this shift in in Personalization, and not personalization in the traditional sense, where you know we insert a merge tag and we greet somebody with their first name. Um, it goes far beyond that, but really starting to understand people's behavior and what their intent is, and why they're they're receiving messages in the first place, and really tailoring the message, the timing, uh, the offer, if you're marketing that type of thing to the user. So. There's just, just tons of personalization happening at various levels. And you, know, it, you see marketers, particularly in SMS, where you're so limited in the number of messages that you can send to somebody in a given month, making sure that each message counts.
2: Yeah. And so like, can you walk through a, like a, an example of, of one of your customers or, or a case study of like, what, what would happen before and after Slick Texts?
0: It's funny every time that I turn around and I, I learn about a new customer. The teams brought on, I find out about a new use case that I really never considered before. And uh, you know, on the surface, you'd think, "Oh, hey, you know, we're a marketing, a mass communications platform. They're going to use it this way, or they're going to use it that way." And that's really not the case. But we've seen a huge explosion in ecom, as an example. So we've got a lot of brands that are using our platform to do things like. It, sending abandoned cart messages and shipping notifications, delivery notifications, following up with surveys and even doing text message blasts. And you know, while we've been doing that for years, how people do it has changed. And so previously, you know, people would would grow a text message list by putting pop-up or banner on their website in the case of, of e-com. And they would send out Text message blast driving traffic to their website to get people to purchase. And if that worked for a while, but people are starting to get more text messages from the companies that they love now. And, you know, unfortunately, they're getting text messages from companies they haven't opted into. And so, you know, again, it's really important that those messages are, are, are tailored. And so, you know. We've made changes in our software to give people the ability to, to really personalize these messages. So if you fast forward a few years, look at how they're they're using it now, you know, we're doing abandoned carts, okay, just like a lot of people, but you know, we're giving our users the ability to understand what's in that cart and change the message up based upon things like previous order count or you know, how large the order is, whether they have a particular item in their cart or not, right? We are giving them the ability to understand what their behavior is on the website, whether or not they've looked at a particular product or purchased another product before when figuring out when to send the message, what type of message to send, and quite frankly, whether to send a message at all. So, you know, just kind of an example of, of in the e specific space, how that personalization has really evolved.
2: So obviously you know talking e-com is is you know a clear clear obvious choice for this are are other folks using this what are what are some of the other industries or or types of customers
0: Yeah for sure so um the list is is long you know you would expect others like food and beverage retail right those are big ones nonprofit communication is also a big thing that we're seeing as well so and in a lot of different ways. So, as an example, um, Cancer.org use, has been using our service for years, and they use it to power all of the communication for all of the Relay for Life events that happen. And so, they have you know, over a 1,000 users in our system that manage all of the communication, all of the different events. And again, those are things that you know, we wouldn't have thought about going into this at all. But it's interesting to see the new use cases you know, Retail is great. It's very, very similar to food and beverage in that they've got this, this challenge that you really don't know who your customer is. And you, know, you have people that come in the door, they're making purchases, and we don't know how to retarget them. We don't know who they are. And SMS is, is, is actually a really great method to giving retailers, and, and restaurant chains visibility into that. By getting creative uh, with getting people to opt in or to leave reviews, feedback, it's a, a way not only to capture their information so that you could market to them in the future and, and own that list, but also push that information to other social platforms for retargeting there as well.
2: Yeah. What, what are some best practices here that, that you're seeing? you know like you said nobody nobody wants to be spammed or they don't want you know if people haven't opted in and things like that but at the same time like you know uh there's all sorts of of really cool stuff being done on this front uh to engage folks to to you know add value and and things like that you know more people are on mobile devices and text messages are i don't know if there's like a you know any any data that you have on like you know read rates or something like that but it seems like Every single text message I get, no matter who it's from, I'm gonna read. You know, whereas if I get a phone call, 99 times out of 100, I'm gonna ignore it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, there's there's statistics that are that are floating around. There's different flavors of it, but the one that you'll see most often is that somewhere between you know 97 and 99 percent of text messages are read within the first five minutes that they're being sent, and that's huge. And there's not much forward direction that that can go, but. With the younger generation being more plugged into their mobile devices than the current one now, at least, you know, people who are my age, those messages are just, they're they're never missed and it's in real time. So, you know, as far as best practices go, the biggest thing above all else is that you should only be sending text messages to people who have explicitly opted in to receiving those messages from your brand. For sure. And it's crucial, not just because you want to maintain that relationship with your customer, but there's also some legal ramifications that are in place there that aren't there for other marketing modalities like email, right? So, you know, like the Telephone Consumer Privacy Act in, in the United States is, is there to prevent the sending of, of unwanted text messages. We've seen We've seen brands. And if you, if you do some, some research online, you know, you'll quickly learn about brands who have been hit with huge class action lawsuits that, uh, you know, that drain millions, tens of millions of dollars you know, from their accounts over, over doing silly things like, Hey, we have a customer list and they've given us their number because they've done business with us in the past. They haven't opted in, but we're going to send them some text messages see if we can drum up some business and it ultimately backfires. And if it doesn't backfire the first time, it, it eventually will. We've seen it. So, you know, on the best practice front, that's just the, the golden rule of text messaging. Is you do not send messages unless these people have explicitly opted in. But aside from that, you know, you've got to do a lot better than that, you know, especially if you're using this for marketing, right? So... Like when people opt in, you need to be explicitly clear about what people are opting in for, right? So um, you got to set those expectations. So if somebody is opting in to receive a delivery notification about a product or a shipping notification about a product, whatever it happens to be, you can't start sending them marketing, right? Just because they, they, they really haven't opted in for that. You need to be very, very clear, so, you know, things like that are, are, are really like so much different than email marketing is where you really can kind of just do everything. So, you know, additionally, for going through some of the core best practices that I think are really important for the people here listening to understand, paying attention to frequency is also a big deal. You know, typically, again, I compare SMS to email a lot. I get emails from, you know, the brands that I love, they'll email me sometimes twice a day. And I'm usually getting something every single day. You shouldn't do it with SMS. Even if you've gotten the permission to do it, if somebody has opted into receiving recurring marketing messages from your brand, you shouldn't do that. You need to, need to understand that when somebody opts into your SMS program, they have given you this, this explicit kind of way to cut through the clutter and communicate to them on a channel that is really reserved for friends and family. And so you need to respect it. And honestly, what we tell our customers is to be upfront about how many messages they can expect to receive. So it's not just about opting into recurring messages. You can say, you know, hey, join our VIP text program and receive, you know, two to three or two to four offers per month about exclusive deals that are found nowhere else. It's a big thing. There's some things that we need to include that are really just there to satisfy the, the carrier requirements. So if you've seen before, when you opt into a text program or when you see a call to action to text to join, you'll see things like, you know, receive X amount of messages, month message and data rates may apply, reply stop to cancel help for help, that type of thing. So that's there to let the user know, Hey, we can opt out at any time. And just as importantly, it's there to make sure the carriers are cool with the program that you're running. Being very, very conspicuous about how users can opt out is also a big deal. You know, we we recommend that you know one in every four mass text messages that go out include a reply stop to opt out at the bottom, just so that people understand that if at any point in time they don't want to receive messages, they can opt out. And you know, if you look at, you know, you compare that to email. We all know we scroll down to the bottom of any marketing email that we get and we look for that link that's real small and, and unhighlighted to opt out. It's important that we make this a little bit more conspicuous for, for the user. Just two other quick ones that I would, I would throw out just um, you know, in, in the interest of chaining this all together is making sure that you are sending text messages during normal hours. It's a big deal. Again, it's not like an email.
2: Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, I didn't think of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we've we've kind of seen it before, where if you could look at the opt out rates or look at the engagement rates for a text campaign that was accidentally sent at midnight, or you know, even even ten or eleven p.m. compared to something that is like nine or ten is is, is much different, right? And you know, again, with email, you're going to come back to your inbox. You're not getting a notification. Most of the time, you're not getting a notification for every single one of these marketing emails that you're getting. Unlike SMS, which you know, fr- frankly can wake you up in the middle of the night, which, which annoys a lot of people. It's an important thing. And you know, the last thing I would say is, again, provide value. You need to think to yourself before you send any text message, is this message providing value? Is the person on the other end of this going to look at this and say, yes, I want to save this. This is something that I care about. And if it's not the case, you probably shouldn't be sending it again, because you want, you've got this, you've got this unicorn right now, this way to communicate to your customer that is is so direct, more direct than anything else right now. And you you want to hold it in the highest regard and respect it as much as possible.
2: Yeah, it is funny how you look at the differences between between text and email and just because you know i mean in both the, the crazy thing is both are are actually permissionless right like they should be permissioned but if somebody finds your phone or finds your your email address right like it's, you're going to get you're going to get spammed apple's a little bit better at or or you know whoever your platform of choice but you know, they're a little bit better at detecting spam now, but mm-hmm. nowhere close to as sophisticated as as Google is with email where, you know, putting things to the spam folder. So, you know, do you have any information on like how things get spammed in, in that way? Are there Are there negative things that happen other than people just opting out? Can you get in trouble?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was saying before, you know, the TCPA... Are really you know the set of laws in place in the United States to to spank the people that are sending spam via SMS, and you know it's unfortunate because it happens now. Um, A to P messaging or application to to pure person messaging, um, which is like what we offer, like what lots of text messaging services offer, where you can come in and you can add your contacts and you can send messages. It's it's so. Accessible today, and it really is so easy for people to, to send spam that uh, they wanted to put these rules and regulations in place to protect the consumer and to make sure that it doesn't go the way that email has. But you're exactly right; as people do it anyways, and they roll the die. And unfortunately, you know there are messaging platforms out there that are in it to make money before anything else, and we all we we all are right. But I think that there's there's a point where it's, you know, at least the way that we look at it, it's our duty to stand up for the industry and the messaging channel before anything else. And you know, we, we turn brands away daily, organizations away daily who have lists that they want to start messaging that are just not compliantly collected. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're dead on with the whole Apple and Google thing. I really don't see. I'm an Apple user. I don't see a lot regarding catching SMS spam. You know, when you get a message from a number that you don't recognize, you can kind of click to report it as spam. I'm not exactly sure how how Google is doing it, but you know, I'm really not looking forward to a future state where it has to be. You know, an SMS inbox looks very similar to that of an email inbox. Where you, know, you have to have all of these marketing messages are going to go into a spam folder for you to review later. But uh, if we can protect this space and work to zap the bad actors, that we can push that data out around the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the crazy things, right? Because we all get, I mean, I think we all agree that we have more robocalls calls than ever. And maybe it's like we always had this many calls. It was just to our home phones. Uh, now they're on our cell phones, so we notice it all the time. Yeah. But I mean, the rise of the robocalls is really, really brutal. And I mean, I th- I think it's a horrible thing for marketing. And I think, um, you know, I think it's one of the things that really leads. You know, this is a broader conversation, but like it leads towards legislation because people hate this stuff, right? And so I think that. You know, services like yours where people can actually understand the benefits of like how to use this in a good way, in a value-added way. But you know, having having you know systems in place is is great so that it doesn't get to be abused or, or things like that.
0: Yeah, and I think it seems like we're we're seeing we're seeing a lot more spammers come to our doorstep more than ever before. But you know, on the other side of the coin. The people that are good actors, the legitimate brands that want to be able to engage or have their customers engage with them, understand how sacred this is more than ever before as well. And people are more educated now that SMS has been around for a while, and so we continue to drive that home. So you know, all of our all of our onboarding engagements, all of the the materials that we give our users, the the onboarding experience that they get when they sign up with our services, really centered around compliance and making sure that, that A, you know, we're following all of those best practices and, you know, and B, delivering that value. So, you know, it's an ever-evolving thing. And, you know, we're seeing, the, you know, the carriers and another reason why I was mentioning earlier that everybody used to use these, these shared shortcodes and, you know, shortcodes can send at hundreds of messages per second. And anybody signing up for, you know, virtually any text marketing service, you know, a year ago, could hop onto one of these codes and start sending messages with, you know, whatever restrictions might be in place by that particular user. But the capability to to send so fast and at at such scale was so easily accessible. So the carriers have said, no, we need to understand every, who every single brand is. We can't have this sharing anymore. And so with the launch of this 10 DLC product and these new policies in short codes there is a registration vetting and verification process that goes on for each brand and these are products that are changing and developing in real time on a day-to-day basis right now but in the very very near future there is there's going to be no way for somebody to start sending text messages from a platform like like ours or any other platform out there without registering their brand and getting vetted by the carriers. And those risk scores and the vetting process will really determine how fast somebody can send or how many text messages they can send per day. And all of these text messages will, will be subject to automated spam filters that are honestly quite advanced. So, you know, there's things happening in the space that unfortunately create complexity for companies like Slicktext. But we also understand that it's in the best interest of the consumer. And you know, it's really only going to whittle down the types of brands that come to services like ours to the people who are, are more white hat and people who are willing to play by the rules. So it's been a complex change to step through, but ultimately, I think a good one.
2: Any other learnings over the past couple of years with regards to to SMS or things that you're seeing that you find particularly interesting or or anything like that?
0: In SMS, this is going back, the personalization thing has has really become an item of interest. So so personalization and automation, I've mentioned a lot about what we're doing with personalization and a lot of what we're doing, the things that we've seen happen in the space whether you know, it's, it's an adjacent industry or if it's a competitor or whatever, or it's, it's stuff that our customers are, are asking for. But you know for us, what we're trying to be able to give to our users is what we call a segment of one, right? So we want to be able to take uh, a brand's customer base, SMS, and be able to provide a message that is so relevant that one message really could not be sent to another. And um, you know, that's a journey. And it's certainly a, so there's several hurdles to get over to making that happen. But that's how we see it is, you know, the personalization is huge. And on the same, you know, on the other side, you know, is the automation part of it, right? So there's, you know, it's easy, you know, you can schedule text messages, and you can have them go. But how how does automation play a role in that personalization? And, you know, we've developed some really awesome features that are about to go live next month that give users the ability to build out these highly engaging personalized experiences via SMS that are flexible enough to do everything from you know, abandoned carts to building chatbot flows and other lead nurture type of sequences that, that is just something like nothing else we've seen in the SMS space. And I think it's exactly what the cutting edge SMS marketer needs to stay relevant with the changes that are happening in SMS. So, you know, those are two particularly exciting things that we're, we're we're pumped about that that really responds well to the changes that we're seeing.
2: You know, it's like everybody is focused on trying to figure out personalization, you know, trying to figure out, you know, refining their data. I mean, how well does SMS, you know, play into companies data strategy and how they're how they're trying to figure out how to segment these audiences because it seems like you know when it's working well it seems like it it's great but when it's not you know then it's it's super problematic you know i get texts all the time i mentioned this on the podcast for for nathaniel mm-hmm. about a voting campaign and i'm like i don't know who this nathaniel guy is but he got <laughs> yeah. me he got my number somehow and uh and signed up for his uh, whatever he was supposed to be voting for. Clearly he's not doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the the political stuff is kind of in this this arena off to the side. You know, naturally when when they put together the TCPA, they you know they have their own carve-outs to I don't want to say allow political messaging, but to be a little more lenient on political messaging as as expected. Honestly, it's a really big problem. We see more political spam than any other type of spam in the space today. And um, you know, I, get, I get political spam text messages all the time. You know, we know the aggregators that are powering those text messages so we help to shut that stuff down. You know, but for the average consumer, it's tough. And you, know, you can reply stop to opt out and that helps only so much right? Um, it should be the, the end all. But unfortunately, you know, if you've got, you know, eight different candidates, like political candidates that are all doing text messaging, you might have to opt out of eight separate programs in order to stop receiving those text messages. So, you know, it's, it's a struggle for sure.
2: So switching gears to, to your company, you all recently went through a bit of a brand refresh. Can you talk about that?
0: Earlier this year, we went through a brand refresh and it was, it was an interesting process. So we knew about a year ago after hiring a new CMO that we've done a great job, the business has grown well, it's been successful. And as you know, we, we shift, we want to become more applicable to mid-market enterprise-level companies. And We have a lot of enterprise-level brands that we service today. You know, it was only after a few conversations with them, they would understand, oh, wow, their software is really great. And, you know, they've got a ton of knowledge in the space and it can really help us be successful. But you needed to do a better job at looking the part. And so naturally, you know, you start thinking, okay, well, we need to develop a new brand style guide and ultimately go through a brand refresh. And you know that needs to include how we speak, the authority and our voice and that type of thing. So you know, with all the other stuff that we have going on, we we knew that this was going to be a multi-step approach. But you know, we hired a director of digital design. His name's Kevin Burr, and I, he's in our national office, and he's he's outstanding. And uh, we went through a pretty long and drawn-out process. You know, at least it, it seemed that way to me. But you know, he was he's very explicit about about getting this right, and you know, the detail that he went into as we were trying to reinvent the logo and what the logo means and the color and the psychology behind the colors and, and the rest of the design was really awesome. And um, once we designed on a brand style guide, our CMO at the time, she really worked hard to build out this entire plan for rebranding everything from you know, the things you'd expect, like the, you know, the logos and the colors on the website. All of the emails, even all of the thumbnails for every video that we had out there, all of the logos on the review sites, the social media, everything—it was a pretty big lift. And you know, we're really only through stage one of that. And um, you know, I, I looking backwards, I, I'm glad we did it. Love looking at our new our new logo. It, it was funny when they kept me out. Of the logo redesign on purpose, and then they brought me in to to show me a, a polished version of it, and I kept shaking my head. Guys, I just I don't I think it's going to be a bigger lift than what you think. You know, given what we've got going on, are you sure we want to take on a challenge like redesigning the logo instead of just updating colors here and there? We're ready for the challenge, and I was resistant to it. And we had our meeting where they unveiled the logo to me and I looked at it and fell in love with it immediately and said, Okay, guys, we need to figure out how we're gonna make this happen. But the brand launch was really cool. It happened on a on a Sunday afternoon. We you know we started at about two and we didn't sign off until about eleven, eleven thirty that night, just updating everything, deploying everything, busting cash everywhere. It was a big process. But, you know, ultimately, you know, again, we're in love with it. I think it's the first step in changing the perception of our brand and showing organizations our true colors. And, you know, the, ter- the secondary and tertiary steps are, are, are really now updating a lot of our verbiage to kind of communicate with a more authoritative voice, which goes hand in hand with the you know, look now. And that's going to be an- another wild one for us to tackle here.
2: Yeah. Any, any learnings? Any do-overs? Any uh, things you'd, uh, you'd change?
0: You know, I, I honestly, I don't think so. I think that we called the right shot by splitting the brand refresh up into a couple stages. I'm talking about the secondary step being uh, one where we're updating our brand voice. And naturally, that includes a lot of content changes on the website. You know, For me, I was a big SEO guy. I still am a big SEO guy. SEO is an important part of our marketing strategy. And I think changing the website branding up and we pair that with redesigning some of the site structure, a bunch of our verbiage on, on, on core pages. I think that, that we could have potentially risked changing too much and potentially, you know, slipping not only from a conversion perspective, but from a rankings perspective, and not really knowing what caused what. So, you know, they were pushing to maybe do some of this stuff in the like similar time frame. And you know, after talking that through, you know, particularly from an SEO perspective, we said, "Hey, we're going to multi-step this, and we're going to test a few things first to make sure that we can preserve the rankings that we have." And that would be honestly the recommendation that I would make to anybody else who's looking to rebrand past just their their logos, colors, and imagery. And if you're looking to make significant website changes that you need to, to multi-step that.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, um, I'm in the middle of a uh, website explainer video and kind of like longer customer story, like long-form customer story right now, doing them all at once, like, I'm like, why did I do this all at once? There is a benefit in like getting all of your messaging straight at one time and making sure that you can tell stories and like, can you tell it in you know a few seconds? Can you tell it in a sentence? Can you tell it in a picture? Can you tell it in, you know, like all that stuff is valuable. Uh, and then getting all of like your, you know, your, your branding straight and all that stuff. So kudos to you all. Cause I, I know, I know the pain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a,
2: well, it was a struggle to,
0: it's actually funny, the, the explainer video. So, we, had, we have an animated explainer video on the website that we did years ago. And we happened to go back and, and track down the company that our, that our uh, marketing consultant used at the time to do the explainer video. And they were still around and they had all of the design files. And we were able to work with them to insert the new logo and some of the new colors in the video so that we could preserve what we had made. I was honestly quite surprised that they had all that stuff still laying around after, you know, this many years, but it worked out.
2: That's cool. So, you know that's a, that's a great for anyone listening who has an agency or something like that. It's a great that's a great marketing tool. If you've done an explainer video for someone, like a year later or 2 years later, you should hit them up and be like, "Hey, FYI, you know, we still have all these things." if you need some tweaks or some changes to this, we could, uh, if, or if you have some new messaging, we could just you know, do this thing for you again. I, I never get hit up by, by agencies for those type of things to like, you know, redo a video or, or whatever, but that's a, that would have been a great marketing tool for them.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting idea. Something that I'd not thought of.
2: So yeah, very cool. Yeah, good on them for, for keeping it. You have a cool explainer video. By the way, everybody can go to slicktext.com to check all this stuff out the redesign and all that. Love the, love the double buttons. Learn how it works and to get started play with the watch the video. It's great stuff. Good website. And the social proof right there of all the big, uh, big customers you have, like Universal, ESPN, FedEx, and, and many more. So yeah, that's, that, that's right. Kudos to the team. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Any predictions uh, for what uh, messaging will look like over the next few years?
0: I think that we're going to continue to see More personalization. And I think that we're going to see less spam outside of the political arena.
2: One can hope. (laughs) That's right. You lead the way, Matt. We'll all follow. (laughs) I promise you that. Everybody use slick text and then we don't have to worry (laughs) about it. Okay, let's get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to Salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing. They're the best and we love them. Been with us since the very first episode of this show, a million downloads ago, if you can believe it. Salesforce brings marketing and customer engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, if you were in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing?
0: Woodworking. Love woodworking. It's something that's completely opposite of what we're doing today. But I always joke around with my wife and tell her that at some point in the future, when when I'm retired, I'm going to gonna set up a wood shop. And I'm going to start building cool stuff with uh, mortise and tenor and joinery.
2: You know, it's funny, like a lot of time, because I, I do... Um, I've done some woodworking in the past as well. And I've done some like painting and some other stuff. Uh, I'm not talented at any of those things. But I think that people who work in marketing specifically... Have this like desire to create things oftentimes. And when you work on all these like digital campaigns and everything is computer and you're sitting in front of a computer every day, that like it's nice to like make something like real and tangible uh, that's like offline. That's my thought. Maybe we should do a marketing trends woodworking class or something like that. That'd be sweet. There you go. There's some, there's some, there's some wild stuff out
0: there that people are doing with wood, believe it or not always had my attention. We just built a home here in uh, Lakewood, New York, and we, it was all—it's all timber frame on the inside. It kind of looks like a, an Aspen ski lodge. The intricacy is just beyond, beyond beautiful.
2: That's rad. Uh, any favorite project that you've done uh, woodworking wise?
0: You know, I a few years ago I had built a media table in my basement, aka wood shop. That was to resemble a particular media table that Pottery Barn had built out of straight Amish cherry. And it was a big thing for me for a while. I went out and bought all the tooling and all the machines to be able to plane, plane the raw wood and put it together. And it was, uh, it was a fun project. It was a fun project. It was, um, it was pretty time-consuming, but, uh, you know, very proud of it. It sits in the house today.
2: Do you have a favorite Olympic event?
0: Yeah. Um, BMX Park. Yeah, this Fun little fact, I competed semi-pro in BMX Skate Park before I got into software development and building Slick Text. So I watched that and uh, actually know some of the guys that are in it.
2: That's pretty sweet. Not a lot of uh, BMXers that also are marketers, I'd imagine.
0: That's probably right. Most of them take a different path. But uh, I, I wound up here and I wouldn't trade anything.
2: Do you have a favorite uh, TV show or podcast or, or book that you've been checking out recently? I
0: think by far, I would say it's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Prime. It's a good one. It is a good one.
2: What is your best advice for a first time CEO?
0: First time CEO, it's likely that you're an accidental CEO like myself and a lot of the founder CEOs are. I would say, above all else, As you continue to grow the business and as you build out a management team around you, make sure that you always stay sober about what's happening at the customer level. Make sure that you understand what's happening with the customer experience, whether that's with sales, support, customer success, onboarding, whatever it is. Don't lose sight of what's happened where the rubber meets the road. And it's so easy to do so. Make sure that you're driving from from that level upward,
2: Matt. That's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Uh, Ever well, obviously everybody go to SlickText.com to to learn more. Check out the website. Check out the redesign. And obviously, if you're looking for SMS, anything to plug or any final thoughts?
0: No, I, I I don't I don't think so. This has been great, Em. I really appreciate it. Again, you know, if anybody's interested in learning more about SMS marketing or mass text messaging for for a nonprofit, please reach out to us our team would be more than happy to talk to you a little bit more about how we can help you um just check out our website at slick and reach out
2: yeah for sure and and there's some cool resources uh the sms marketing guide and a few other things to uh, to check out there as well so matt thanks again take care appreciate it thanks again